Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bill T. This is the last one for 2022, so get ready to ring in the new year. I hope you guys had a great 2022. I know I did. Tons of cool interviews, and uh, it doesn't stop there because I got one more for you today. On today's podcast, I've got Josh Honnell, and he's out of Midlothian, Texas. He is, uh, it's not his full-time job like the rest of us. He's got a full-time gig, but his passion drives him into doing stuff with VWs. And what he does specifically is rebuilds distributors, goes through carburetors and restores pieces and parts like that. And you can check him out by looking him up on Instagram or Facebook under Josh Honnell. That's H-O-N-E-L. Um on Instagram and what is really what he's been doing lately is uh, rebuilding distributors. You send him your distributor. He goes completely through on this podcast today. We really go through the distributors, the value of vacuum advance, like, and how it can help you, uh, you know, get the right distributor for your setup. So a lot of interesting distributor talk on today's podcast, as well as he works with the Bergs in Southern California a little bit. Dino testing on the new Venturis that they put, the the hybrid Venturis that uh, he's got some real world dyno data on and they definitely uh, make a huge difference. So we talk about some of that as well as what he does with carburetors and whatnot. So uh, it's gonna be a great podcast. I know you guys are gonna enjoy it. I wanna thank you guys for listening this year. I appreciate all the listeners and all the people that support the podcast. I mean, all of you, Totally appreciate it. I appreciate especially the newbies that we turn on to the podcast that just start peppering me with questions and stuff because they're they're finding this treasure trove of history and people in our hobby that uh, make it all worth it. And that's the reason why I do what I do. So uh, I dig it. I appreciate all you guys, man. You guys have a great new year. Be safe and uh, enjoy this podcast with a little bit of time off that you are in the garage tinkering and who knows you might be working on some distributor stuff so let's get into it guys this week josh honnell air cooled dino works on let's talk dubs you probably don't know that there's a new volkswagen out that doesn't look like a volkswagen Okay, everybody. So on today's podcast, we typically, a, a lot of times throughout my uh, producing the podcast, I get a lot of emails and and friends of friends and people that I know that are in the industry. And a lot of times uh, they're into stuff that I'd like to do kind of a deep dive on. That's what today's podcast is about. I've, uh, I've had some response from uh, the, our gentleman today on the podcast. And he's a, a friend of a friend, but he's also out in Texas and he does some work specifically on uh, dyno tuning and distributors and carb rebuilds and stuff like that. So on today's podcast, I've got Josh Honnell out of Midlothian, Texas. Uh, Josh, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me. Hey, so we've been connecting, we've been communicating back and forth via DMs and stuff like that. And uh, I know that you've been, you do a lot of detail work when it comes to distributors and carb rebuilding and, and a lot of little miscellaneous stuff like that. And I know you're listening to the podcast and you, and you know how this gets started. So the way we always start the podcast is what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? Well, um, I guess my story kind of begins in about 2010. I was about 20 years old, had just gotten married. 
uh, married my high school sweetheart and she had a, uh, uh, car that was failing a 99 mercury mistake or mystique or however it's pronounced. Right. Anyways. And I decided I needed to find something cheap and easy to work on. Um, my boss at the time said, Hey, I had a Volkswagen back in the day. They're cheap and easy to work on. So, um, I'll help you work on it. So I start looking and I find one in Oklahoma city at the time I was living in Tulsa and, and we get it bought around Thanksgiving and brought back home, start doing a little research and find out it was a 73 super beetle. Nice. Um, it, and it was supposed to be, you know, a run and driving car and, uh, fresh rebuilt engine, but they lost the receipts of course. Um, and it, it was a, it was a nightmare, man. Everything was bad. Everything on that car was bad. You know, I, and, I, I've uh, always noticed that Super Beetles, Super Beetles seem to get really beat up by their owners because it's like the last gen. And I've seen those usually quite trashed, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was all bad. So we, I tinkered in the garage for a while. And then, uh, you know, we tried doing brakes and tried to get the engine to run and finally just decided we were going to take it to a local shop. They said they'll do a tune-up on it for me and kind of give me the rundown on what it is. Well, they quickly called and said, we're going to do a compression test. And <laughs> come to find out, they had uh, three dead cylinders, and one of them had like 40 pounds. So, you know, wow. almost ran. Fresh <laughs> rebuild, right? Yeah. So uh, they gave me a quote to do a top end on the engine, you know, piston cylinders and heads, and I just couldn't afford it at the time. So they said, go you know, pick up the idiot manual and the – the uh, the red book, the uh, how to rebuild your cold Volkswagen and right. do it yourself. So I took it home over, I think it was Christmas, and my dad and I rebuilt it in the garage and put it back in. And, you know, then that's when we found out everything was bad on the car suspension, <laughs> brakes and everything else. And I wound up doing top line suspension on it. I had the Versa struts and had the sway bar front and rear mm-hmm. and had all their bushings and all that kind of stuff, man. The car handled like it was on rails when we got done. There's nothing like a tight Super Beetle, man. That thing was so much fun to drive. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, of course, it was still a '73 Super Beetle that you know looked like it had been left at the bottom of the ocean. So, <laughs> anyways, got out of that. Um, we moved to Louisiana with my work, um, and then that's when I picked up my '63 Turkish that I have now, and. Um, you know, same kind of thing, got it going and enjoying it. And you know how it goes. We, it, it changes several times, you know, from stock to, you know, a little bit milder performance and now it's got to be more. And <laughs> and now, you know, so you get into VWs, are, are you fairly mechanically inclined to begin with, or you just kind of, was this your introduction to like really working on cars? Yeah. I mean, a, a little bit of both. I mean, we, growing up, I had uncles that had grocery stores and uh, you know, rental houses and apartment complexes. And so we were always, you know, plumbing or sheetrocking or heat and air conditioning or something all the time. Uh, but not really working on cars a whole lot. Uh, we would do oil changes and maybe the occasional brake job, but that's it. Um, but I had a neighbor growing up across the street that was always working on something cool. So I'd, I'd go over there all the time and hang out with him and you know, get my hands dirty that way. So the, the, the beetle was kind of my first, like really working on something. And so now obviously this, this isn't what you mainly do. I mean, most of us all have regular jobs and and our VWs are such a passion that we kind of create a little bit of a business unintentionally out of our, 
out of our passion. Now, with what you do with the distributors and all that stuff, that's it's pretty detailed work that not a lot of people are doing. How do you end up kind of going down that road? So it, a bit of a story there. Um, I moved around a lot with my work, and we wound up back in Tulsa at one point, and I was apprenticing at this machine shop uh, called Bug House in Tulsa, um, and they uh, it was kind of one of those things like, hey, hang out, help us do machine work and build engines, and we'll help you build your big engine when you know the time is right and give you discounts on parts and that kind of stuff. So um, I was rounding up some parts. I was going to buy some carburetors at Oklahoma City from this shop, and as I was walking in the door, the guy was hanging up the phone and says, hey, deal of the day, do you know anybody that wants to buy a dyno? And I said, uh, yes. <laughs> of course I want to buy a dyno. Right. So get the dyno, get back home with it, and uh, that was going to be my business. I was going to dyno engines and braking engines and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, one of the engines I was working on um, was just giving me all these fits, and I just – couldn't figure the thing out. I had, I, I don't remember, 40, 50, 60 hours into this engine. The timing was just jumping all over the place, like 20 degrees at idle. And I'd swap distributors and just done all this stuff, chasing my tail. And finally uh, figured out it was the in-play of the engine. It had, the brand new engine had 26 thousandths of in-play in it. So the whole crank was moving back and forth, which was turning the distributor. So that's when I decided I needed a distributor machine because I could have just taken the distributor off, put it on the machine and known instantly that it wasn't necessarily <laughs> a distributor or ignition problem. Right. So then, you know, was on the hunt for a distributor machine, found a guy, I don't remember somewhere up Northeast that was kind of would buy them and get them going. They weren't necessarily like a restoration or something to put in a man cave. It was more of a, like a working piece. Um, and I met him halfway in St. Louis and, and brought it home and then, uh, found another guy up North that sells parts and does like the electrical or mechanical re restorations on them. So I was able to send him all the, you know, important parts, get it all calibrated and get it going. And now I've, you know, I got to take apart every distributor there is and figure out what makes them tick. Now with distributors, it's maybe sometimes one of the most overlooked pieces on a car, right? That people just take for granted that, you know, that, that, that can't go wrong. And then for my aspect on the street, it always seems like every time there's something that goes, I guess, you know, with like a 36 horse, they'll run forever. Right. But then you start hopping right. up a 1600 or you doing, you know, you get uh, the big bad coil or something like that. Next, thing you know, you're frying points. And you've got all kinds of stuff. And everybody says, oh, yeah, just throw the Pertronics in there and you're done with it. You never have to touch it again. So that's, that's a lot of stuff that I kind of wanted to get straightened out here on the podcast today because you kind of deal mostly with a lot of distributors. And, and just recently on my uh, rag chop, I had a 009 and my brother, he loathes 009s. And he says, just take that <laughs> piece of garbage and throw it in the trash. Get yourself the, the billet distributor from CB, which is what I got and put it in the car and you're good to go. You know, and I think a lot of people, especially when it comes to, you know, people on the mechanical side that just want to cut to the chase and get to something good. They're the people that want to take the factory piece and get it back to perfect. And then there's other people that the disposition is, you know, they make better, newer stuff, just get rid of that and get the new one because that's kind of the fix all now. So I want to kind of start peeling back some layers on that with, 
you know, Volkswagen had, and for some of those newer guys that are listening, Volkswagen originally, the distributors that came on the Volkswagen were all vacuum advanced distributors. So let's kind of walk through how it starts with your basic stock distributor and how it, how that performs. And then what the advantage of the 009 is, and then what is it, the 010 and then a 050, I think it is. I mean, there's a couple different ones that are that are sought after that, you know, people are like, oh, you walked right by the distributor. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so that's a really rare distributor. And I'm like, okay. So let's kind of talk about first, what's the biggest misconception you think about distributors that people overlook with like an original style 009 versus like the billet and all that stuff that's out now? Um, I mean, I kind of... I've put a, or I've, I've sold a lot of 009s and it's, it's more one of those things that I think a lot of, I think our industry still seeks that out, whether it's, you know, right or wrong. I know some people really hate the 009s and, you know, other people are just fine with them. I think, I think for the money, a 009 can be great. Um, you know, I try to stick with the Bosch units, preferably German if I can. Um, and there's a few, uh, weak points that'll cause erratic timing that I like to address when I'm doing them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 009 basically advances. It, it starts a little bit slower from my experience than what like an 010 or an 019 does. Their timing comes in a little quicker. Um, and with a vacuum advanced distributor, the vacuum is kind of helping pull that to get the timing a little more further up, if that makes sense. So where the 009 is, you know, if you want to call it lazy, um, like an 010 or an 019 or some of the vacuum units or any of the, you know, CB or Protronics, they all tend to advance just a touch quicker. So a 009 can be a great distributor for somebody, especially, you know, your budget, you know, if you're some of those CB, you know, stuff, I think they're 250 or 300 right now, somewhere in there for the, like the drop in by all the stuff, you know? So right, right. I just kind of, you know, try to support whatever the customers want to do and, um, and now, let, let, so let's talk about the, the factory original distributor. Let's mm-hmm. say, so you've got a 36 horse, a 40 horse, and a 1600. Those would be the three different distributors, roughly? Yeah. And a couple of variations on the maybe the 1600 distributor, whether it's fuel injected or not? Right. So, so just keeping it basic, what's the 36 horse distributor? And then what was, what were the upgrades for those, for those motors? And what's the reason people were upgrading them? Um, well, it's the, uh, I think people found that the 010, what, well, we'll start out with like the, the 36 horse stuff. So they had a, originally had a vacuum canister on it. You'll see them a lot of times. They're kind of, um, I know they've almost got like a hex coming off the front of them mm-hmm. and there's a little spring that's adjustable in it for you to be able to tweak on the vacuum. And a lot of times they'll have a steel line that goes up to the, to the carburetor, um, and then from there, you know, they had the 010s and the 019s in the late 50s and early 60s, I believe. And those are and, factory factory distributors off of another car. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, so they, like the uh, they weren't ahead. built. They weren't built for like. A, here's a performance add-on. People are like, oh, you can pull this off of that, and it's got faster advance curve and some stuff right. to that extent. Right. So the and it's my understanding even like the the 019 Blue Screamer. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was just a black 010 that they painted blue over the top. So there's nothing that was changed on the inside is my understanding. Um, so if you look at it, a lot of times the way to tell if it's an original painted one is there's paint over the screws. 
Oh, really? At least, at least that's my understanding. So if, if there's paint directly over the screws, then you know that it, it's a good chance that it was a factory unit. And now, so for some of those, so for some of those guys that are listening, that that we may even lost that started talking about vacuum, and this is Bill with my basic knowledge of mechanical <laughs> aptitude, right? The vacuum. So what happens is the vacuum signal, which is when the when the motors at low RPM, the intake manifold creates vacuum. That vacuum it will hold back the timing until it loses vacuum and then it lets go of a spring inside the carburetor to advance the vacuum with the RPM of the engine. So as, as your motor starts to pick up RPM, it loses vacuum in the intake manifold and then it releases the spring inside the distributor, allowing it to advance further. Is that right or wrong? I'm, I'm... Uh, almost, the, the vacuum is actually adding timing. See, that's not bad for a guy who completely made it up on the fly, right? Right. No, that's, that's pretty good. It's, it's all correct except the vacuum. Well, a, a, an SVDA is adding vacuum where a dual vacuum in the later models has the capability to add and subtract based on engine vacuum. And so the whole, the whole thought process on it is that you can, rather than, than just having an engine speed to determine the timing, it can see vacuum, which is a uh, a sense of the load that the engine is under, um, and it can add timing for for performance or fuel mileage or um, okay, you so know, a number of reasons. So, so in essence, if you if you're free revving a motor and you're going through the RPM range, and then you're load testing a motor like a dyno does, you're going to have two different vacuum readings at let's say three thousand RPM. One under That's correct. Okay. So the reality of that vacuum is it's allowing the, the vacuum signal or the draw on the vacuum is, is allowing the distributor to adjust the advance to help the motor perform, whether it's yes. load or under load. So the more, so now what, what does it do under more load? It gives it more timing or less. Uh, yeah. As, as, as vacuum, well, so as vacuum increases, it would add more timing and as vacuum decreases, it's going to, it's not going to add as much timing. So for example, like an O34 and SVDA, which is kind of like the, one of the go-to ones for a stockish engine or, or if you've got uh, a vacuum port that you can use, you know, some people will use them on IDFs or they'll modify cadrons to use it, uh, that, you know, cruising down the road, your total timing, a mechanical would say, you know, 30, 32 degrees, but now that you're cruising, it's pulling vacuum. It's going to add timing. So it, it may be at 38 or 40 degrees total, which may sound like a lot, but under a partial throttle, it's, it's not that, not that bad for the engine. And now it's getting better fuel economy because it's got more time to burn. And, you know, it's it just, it optimizes what you got. Now you want to race the guy next to you. You go wide open throttle that vacuum signal goes away and the timing snaps from 40 to 32 where it's safe under, you know, full load, wide open throttle conditions. Got it. So, so essentially the, the no vacuum distributors are more like performance oriented. They just, you just want flat, a, a static set timing at whatever it's going to be throughout the RPM range, load or no load. Right. Uh, it, it's strictly looking at engine RPMs. It, it gets nothing off of how the engine is actually performing or, you know, it has no signal from that. So, so in theory, like trying to get the best running engine for all around driving, we're not talking about racing. We're talking about your day-to-day -day performance, getting on and off the freeway, starting from stoplights and all that stuff. 
vacuum advance in theory would perform better. Absolutely. I, I try to push my customers that way as much as I can. Um, and O34 is kind of the go-to distributor for that. Now it, it depends on your carburetors and distributors. You, you got to pay attention to making sure you, you have the appropriate match for that. And you can really get into the weeds on some of that, but uh, generally speaking, like a 34 pick three, which is where everybody has the symbol with the 009, mm-hmm. you want to, the, the, the easiest fix without having to do a lot of modifications to the carburetor is to go with a vacuum advanced distributor and your car will run better. It will. <laughs> no, no, no. Gas you got it wrong. Kind of stuff. Josh, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. When I went to the VW store when I was a kid and I said, Hey man, my car is running like crap. This carburetor's got this crazy flat spot. You got 34 pick three here. You got to buy this adapter, get this 30 pick one and you're good to go. So <laughs> there you go. what they would actually do at the, at the auto parts store would sell me the offset adapter. They'd sell me uh-huh. the, the different carburetor that didn't have the uh, idle. What is it? An idle, uh, idle shut off. I think is a little right. solenoid on the side. And they would right. say, that's your problem is the 34 pick three. And so maybe what was happening is performance guys were reverse, we're, we're, we're understanding the concept of vacuum advance. And we're saying here, throw this 009 on that car with that 34 pick three. And then you get this wicked flat spot. And then you're, you're trying to solve that. They go, oh no, you gotta, you gotta change carburetors because those carburetors are no good. And the reality is you're using a, a, a vacuum dependent carburetor with a, non-vacuum distributor which is probably some of your issues so there's probably a lot of guys out there and i mean and, and that's what's important to me in, in this conversation is like those i'm thinking of you i'm thinking of me and we got our first cars and we've got you know that that car that's got a 34 pick three and it's running like crap and and you know we're, we're trying to get it dialed in but we put on that chrome 009 and, mm-hmm. and and maybe <laughs> honestly and, and i think that i mean that, that's like the story of everyone right and maybe, right. Everybody's got to do it at least once or 10 times or something, you know. And maybe this, I mean, obviously the solution would be put a good vacuum advanced distributor. Now, let's say you're that guy, right? And you want to check because we're going to kind of hover around this for a second. So you you got a couple distributors. How can a guy in with the basic knowledge of what we have, with what I have, which is not much, go in my garage and see which of those distributors is like what would be the one that would fit on that 1,634 pick three? What would be a good distributor if you had the double nine and a couple other vacuum advances? And then how do you check the vacuum advance? Right. So a lot of people, I get people all the time that shoot me messages about double nine cores. Um, there, double nine actually appeared twice. There's a short body distributor. It's an aluminum one. The body's kind of shorter and, and wider. Um, that's not the double nine that most people are talking about. It's you know, what I call a normal body or a, a tall body. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, say you're going out to your garage and you're trying to, to find something, you know, try to find a good distributor. The the first thing that I look at when I'm going to swap meets, trying to find cores is the, the part that the rotor goes on, I'll call the top portion and the bottom portion where it goes in the engine, where the distributor drive is, we'll call the bottom portion. So those, those should, kind of pivot independently of each other. So you can hold the bottom portion with one hand and kind of turn the rotor back and forth and it should go forward and then spring back. If it, if it does not move or it, um, you know, maybe goes forward and stays there. Well, then that's something that needs lubricated or pulled apart or cleaned or something. 
otherwise it's you know not going to work well on your engine right and, and we're talking about we're talking about distributors with an, with mechanical advance mm-hmm. the vacuum only ones there's no movement between that top portion and the bottom portion it's it's directly connected where it's vacuum only and that happened in like the uh like the the mid 60s and stuff there with like the 40 horses um but so you can you you can know whether or not the mechanical advance of it is working um if well the, if or you've not. got that spring tension on the shaft on the top half of the shaft right it should it should spring back it should not be gummy or anything if you pull the rotor off there's actually a little felt under there you can pull that felt out and try to lubricate that up with just some regular motor oil will help sometimes you can get them to free up that way it doesn't take a lot reminder that that's going to be spinning you don't want all that oil going everywhere inside but that is supposed to be a maintenance item too really so about every oil change I'll, I'll pull the uh, pull the rotor off and just kind of pull my dipstick out of the engine and just kind of touch it on that felt to give the drop. Um, so that's something that you can add to your maintenance just to keep that part moving. Um, so then as far as the vacuum advance, uh, you can put a vacuum hose on it or you can go straight to your mouth, whatever you're feeling, and you can just uh, suck on your on that vacuum can, put your tongue over it, and it should hold. It should not bleed off the vacuum. So if it if it bleeds off, the vacuum can is bad, um, or maybe going bad soon. And, and that, then if it's a go ahead. No, it's, well, it seems like I would. I mean, I'm just venturing to guess again. I'm a backyard hillbilly mechanic guy, but I'm gonna guess those vacuums go out very much or not really because it looks like a pretty sturdy um, piece that would be. I mean. It, it's got the yeah, same. Yeah, it's just the rubber diaphragm on the inside. You know, it's 50, 60 years old now, um, and so they 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 do go bad. I find them quite regularly that they're bad. I'd say that maybe half to you know 60 percent or so are are bad when I when I'm working on them. A lot of times, it's just the the little spout that you hook your vacuum hose to has been busted off because it's been, you know thrown around for who knows how long bent back and forth 45 times (laughs) right (laughs) okay so so with a with the vacuum advanced distributor you can check it pretty basically with that and then you're also going to make sure that the the shaft is solid all the way through and then right the other big thing to look at is the overall in play of the shaft here if you're going back to that bottom portion where it goes into your engine Mm-hmm. there should be very little up and down movement there as far as the shaft going in and out of the distributor. Okay. Um, so there are some fiber washers uh, inside and outside the distributor and those deteriorate over time. And that kind of sets the in play of that shaft. So if that shaft's moving up and down, your timing can go back and forth and cause erratic timing. So if you've that, got your timing line, you're looking on it and it's bouncing all over the place. That may be one of the areas that, that it's coming from. I'm going to ask you a wild question. Have uh-huh. you ever had a distributor that feels like when you're cranking the motor over, it feels like something's jumping inside the distributor cap? Would that be those those fiber washers? Yeah, it could be. Um, I've also um, you hear like a sometimes click, if you like a click coming from the cap, click coming from the cap. Almost, Did it have almost like well, we George and I just fired up a Type Four that I bought on offer up a little bit ago. And it was right. making a pretty this pretty odd click inside the cap, and I'd feel the cap, and you could feel something like like there's too much movement inside it. And we haven't pulled the distributor out to check it, but uh, um, yeah, that could be depending on what it is. Does it does it have points in it, or does it have a CompuFire Protronics module? No, I think it's a I think it's a just a points distributor. 
Okay, the reason I ask that is you got to, when you put those modules in, it pushes the rotor up. So sometimes when that collar slides on for those drop-in modules, you got to pay attention to the height of the rotor to the cap. Sometimes it'll hit. You got to sand the bottom of the rotor off a little bit. So, but yeah, I would probably think that the, uh, I'd probably be leaning more towards the overall shaft in play. But hmm. yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna have to check it out when we're, we're back to looking at it again. Um, so now you're, we're, we're talking about the, the 034 distributor is for what years? Like that's an OEM distributor for what years? Um, I actually got it right here. If I remember correctly, it was just a one year only distributor. Yeah. So in my notes here, it was Beetle 1974 uh, with a manual transmission. 0231170034 is the Bosch number. Or the uh, VW numbers 043-905-205. And what? And so the typical guy with a dual port sixteen hundred that he's just just on a used bug he bought, he's typically going to have more likely than not probably a double nine. But if he's got a vacuum advance distributor on there, at any point during production, did VW go away from the vacuum advance? Um, I mean, not after they, um. Pretty much like with the 009s, the 010s, and the 019s, or there they have a couple other part numbers they could be on for for buses. But once they went back to vacuums with the 40 horse stuff, it always had some kind of vacuum. Is my understanding? Excuse me, my understanding. Now, so did so did v, was a 009 a factory a factory VW distributor for one of the models, or they pulled it? Some got the mechanics got it from a different parts bin. That. Uh, I, I honestly don't know. Um, <laughs> well, cause I don't think everybody that, always, you, you, you always hear the, you know, it was for a, uh, for an industrial engine designed to run a single RPM. And then you see other people post, well, I saw this Volkswagen, uh, you know, memo that this is the, the superseded number for that. And now it's supposed to be a replacement. So maybe it started out, um, you know, for industrial engines and then it was superseded to be used. Um, so I, I honestly don't know, um, but so now getting back to the, so getting back to the different distributors. So now you've got your double Oh nine other than the double Oh nine. What's the other one everybody's got that's real sought after that everyone's really excited about, especially the Cowlick dudes. Um, is it the, is it the Oh one Oh, is that the one that everybody? Yeah. The Oh one Oh is the one, the Oh one Oh and the Oh 19 are kind of the, the go-to performance Bosch distributors. The 019's a little slower on the advance. Kind of the rule of thumb that I play by is under two liter engine, uh, you can use an 019 over two liter, use an 010, now you can use them interchangeably. Um, that's not hard, set, and fast either way. But um, the 010 core prices have gotten really expensive, uh, you know, as like everything has lately. But um Back on that 034, they did use them in, in Mexico, so there's a lot of Mexican 034s on those SVDAs as well. I wanted to mention that. Yeah, I haven't looked to see which uh, what what distributors on my Mexican Beetle because I've got a I've got a brand new Mexican Beetle that I cruise every now right. and, and it's fuel injected, so I don't know if it would be a mechanical advanced compute like a computer controlled, but it's got a nah, it can't be because I don't I don't think it's a crank fire ignition, so. 
I think it's still, I think it's still like a, I, I, I'll be honest with you, dude. I checked the oil on that thing and that's it. I've never, I've never <laughs> touched it. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not super familiar with the Mexican beetles, but I'd be curious to know what's on it for sure. Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll take some pictures and uh, kind of get down, get down into that dude. Yeah, man. So what are some of the, when you go through a distributor for somebody, so let's say somebody's doing a, a period correct restoration, is that really mm-hmm. kind of your wheelhouse of rebuilding a distributor, checking the advance? Because I hear a lot about dwell and all that stuff, and I don't really dwell much on trying to set the dwell. <laughs> what, <laughs> what, what is the deal? Explain to the average backyard hillbilly like me, what what is the dwell? What's the difference? What is all that? So a point, the points gap gets you in the ballpark. The dwell is the more correct way to do it. And the reason for that is the dwell is kind of how long the points are, are open or closed is what you're thinking about. And therefore it's how long it's charging your ignition or charging your coil. So if they're not opening, you know, if the dwell is too much or too little, you may be not getting enough spark or vice versa. You may be, uh, you know, doing damage to your system by, you know, overcharging things. You could burn points or wear at your condenser or coil or that kind of stuff. So the, the gap will get you in the ballpark. Dwell is probably the, the better way to go for double checking the longevity of all your other ignition components. And when, like back in the day, obviously when they had the machines like you have, people would pull the distributor out of the car, set the dwell on the machine itself. Yeah. So if, if somebody drives a car to me, I don't set it in the car because I can just pull the one thirteen millimeter nut out, leave the clamp on it, and just throw it on the machine, and it's much easier to put the points on there than in the car. So, and but then, yeah, they, they make little handhelds. You can find those used all the time. You know, the little old Craftsman or you know handhelds that have dwell RPM, all that kind of stuff on them. And then you adjust that by the gap size. So the, so the gap is because there may be a slight variation between the actual, uh, the, the little tang on the, on the point that lifts it off, off the cam and that those slight variations might make it to where it'll change the dwell, which is the amount of spark that each cylinder is getting, which could affect the time. I mean, really it could burn out your system, you're saying, or could it actually make the motor run hotter? Yeah, it could. You know, I mean, if you're, uh, if it's, I mean, are you talking about the, the ignition running hotter or the engine running hotter? Well, the, like the dwell, if you've got, I mean, can you, can you make that much of a difference with the dwell or not that much difference? Uh, I mean, changing the dwell changes the timing. So in theory, you know, if you're, if you've calibrated your engine timing to the maximum extent and then you change your dwell and it may push you over the edge into pinging your detonation. I mean, in theory it could happen. Yeah. And now, so some of the, some of the other issues that we have is let's say a guy, cause usually it was always kind of a, use a matchbook back in the day. Right. That was the, through the, in the idiot manual, like that was the rough way to gauge it, right? Like the thickness of mm-hmm. a matchbook. Now, good luck finding a matchbook today. Right. And then, I was just about to say that. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think that what is the factory gaps? Is it sixteen thousandths on points? Yeah, sixteen thousandths. Look at that. See, I do know. Tell my brother yeah, George, yeah, yeah, I do, yeah. I do know some <laughs> stuff. And so, um, so setting that gap. Now, some of the other issues that people have. Now, there, so here's another part I want to talk about: compatibility with like coil points and all that stuff, because they say that there's a, you have to have a particular coil for your setup and all this kind of jazz. Um, 
where where is stuff going to get kind of sideways where you could have the wrong coil that would burn up your system versus not the right coil which would not give you which would make it run like crap the biggest thing i would tell people is if you're going with a pertronics or anybody but we'll just use pertronics in this because that's the one i see a lot people will buy a flamethrower two or three and drop it in and not change any other of their components and then they burn out a coil or they burn out the distributor itself pay attention to um what the manufacturer is telling you on that so if they're if they say you need this coil they they mean it and if they're saying you need these plug wires because they have you know resistance or you know that that whole system is matched so it's better to buy the system complete you know buy buy everything that they tell you to that way it's all matched and you don't have to worry about it where i've seen failures is when people you know buy a igniter three because it's supposed to be you know the hottest spark ever and then they leave their blue coil on it and it's it's mismatched and they have you know they burn up the coil or they burn up their distributor and um the downside with electronic is when it doesn't work it it, it stops working you know it's um, it just flat out quits. You're not going to get home at that point um, where, you know, points and condenser, generally speaking, you can kind of, you know, force it home. <laughs> now, what are you running in your car? Um, well, I was running an 010 uh, that I actually got from Randy Randar uh, right yeah. before he passed. I, I picked up an 010 that he was selling and um, I was running, I was testing different points on, on the dyno with it. Um, and then I put in a, uh, Protronics module, my engine's turning 7,500 RPM or so. Um, and then I found a Davis Unified HEI, which I had never seen before. Somebody local had it. Mm-hmm. And I picked that up and was able to play with that and dyno test it. And it actually made more horsepower really? over the 010 with the, because uh, it was just an 010 blue coil and Protronics and then put the, uh, put that HEI on it. And man, that thing is, that thing's huge. You know, uh, that's one of those, uh, V8, it's, it's like the V8 looking distributor that sits inside the engine compartment looks all out of place, but it's got four, four uh, plug wires on it. Yeah. The thing's huge. It, it was a Davis unified. I think it's Davis unified ignition components. Maybe um, I think they're out of Memphis or Tennessee. I looked them up anyways, they still sell them and it's a fantastic distributor. I mean, it, doesn't necessarily fit the look but i'm gonna have to wear it now because it works right (laughs) and now when you say it works like what's the difference in respect to the distributor you're using before with that one so what i was able to do is is run more plug gap um i think we're a lot of other people you know they oh i'm running the the hottest distributor ever so i'm gonna you know gap the plugs way big and then they have other problems or hard starting or um, so with my, with the 010, with the blue coil, I was running about 32 thousandths, any more than that. And it was hard starting and, you know, having other problems. And I put that, uh, Davis unified on it and it made the same power at the same plug gap. But when I opened them up to, I think they said you can run up to 50, uh, my car didn't want, or they didn't like to start at 50. So I think they wound up at around 42. I'd have to go look at my nose, but anyways, it picked up about a number or a number and a half on the dial on the dyno. So, uh, you know, noticeable increase just from the, from the, from the plug gap, basically. Now, so in HEI, what is, what is an HEI is what the, is what GM had. That was like their 
solid state right. distributor. Now, is that the same as a Petronics or is it completely different? It's, it's different. Um, it's used, uh, so the ATI has the coil on the cap, um, and more like a Protronics, a lot of times um, has like a magnetic pickup that's spinning versus like a collar that's picking up. So similar in, in theory, um, but a little bit different. So, And then the, the Davis one, is, it's a, it was all the rage in probably the late 70s, early 80s. And, yeah, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know when they started making it or not. I, like I said, I know they still sell it. I'd never seen one. And then one came up local. Um, and then immediately one came up for sale on eBay. So, you know, I need a spare, right? So now I've got two of these things. (laughs) Right. Right. So now what's, what difference does the plug gap may make when you're trying to get performance? Like, I mean, have you seen, is the goal to get the biggest gap for the biggest spark to create the biggest bang? I mean, what's, what's the goal with plug gap? And because for me, I just kind of pull them out of the box. I look, I give them the eye, and I'm like, yeah, those are right. good. Those yep, are good. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not going to be on here lying to people like, yeah, there I am with my glasses on and checking the gap. You know, I'm not, I'm like, usually when I'm replacing a plug, it's because it shot out of the motor. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but uh, what, what kind of difference does plug gapping make? Right. I mean, just, it's. I mean, is this if you're like uh, in the weeds, squeezing every ounce of power out of the car? Right. And, you know, I, I have a dyno so I can afford to sit here and pull the plugs out and gap them a few thousands and pull the plug out and gap them a few thousands to kind of, you know, see and all that. But it's it's one of those things that's it's a just right scenario. So it's not too big. It's not too small. And, you know, the, the, the hotter the ignition, generally speaking, you can gap the plugs a little bit more. And, and get a bigger, better spark, and therefore a better fuel burn. And it, it's it's all a balance. So by no means am I saying go gap your plugs at fifty thousandths with your you know well, stock distributor. But the dude at AutoZone, after we spent forty five minutes explaining <laughs> to him that it wasn't an automatic sixteen hundred, right, right, he told me to get the four prong plugs that have the maximum now. Has anybody ever tried that and what's the difference or is it just stay away from that trash? Like the, the, you know, the, they've got plug, uh, plugs that have multiple prongs on the end and stuff like that. I mean, is there, is there any value in running those or are they just a waste of money? I personally have not tested that. Um, so, you know, without just blowing smoke, I, you know, I, I, don't, yeah. I don't really have any data on that. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious, you know what I mean? With all the, cause they have like the ones with the, and is there a particular type of plug? Like what's the, have you found like, what's the go-to plug that everybody like the better one to run? Uh, I know when I got my heads, Clyde told me to run an NGK. I think it was a D70A and that's kind of what I've been running. Um, I think we did try a D8 at one point, just a slightly different plug, but uh, the D7s at least for my combo were, were, where I was at. So, Again, I hadn't done a whole lot of, you know, checking with hotter or colder spark plugs or different platinums or multiple prongs or all that kind of stuff. And now, obviously, you, even if you're in a stock distributor setup, I mean, if you're trying, if, if you're not that committed to to looking stock, um, plug wires make a, probably a pretty good difference. Yeah, I mean, the stock plug wires, um, you know, I'd say get a, get a quality plug wire always, um, but 
make sure that, you know, if, if your plug wires need resistance, that you're using an appropriate plug wire. Um, but yeah, plug wires can, can make a big difference. Um, you know, we've all seen the, the, uh, ones that are permanently bit to their shape and dried out and brittle. <laughs> they're not supposed to mean they're not, they don't come that way from the factory. They're not. Yeah, pretty, right. I thought yeah, mine were molded. <laughs> yeah. Custom molded in Germany, right? Yeah. I had, uh, I, I remember my experience with plug wires was driving my split window that no one knows that I still own. That's been in the body shop for 12 years. Um, that particular car, <laughs> when it had the original, the 25 horse in it, I think, um, I think Thomas Edison made the plug wires that were not thing because they were somebody was really committed to being original and they were like a cloth. I mean, they were like, and then when you're losing, you know, six and a half, six and a quarter horse getting on the freeway off ramp, I mean, that's a big punch in the gut. And it was a miserable, <laughs> miserable experience driving that 25 horse. I drove it for two days with a 25 horse and vowed to never drive a 25 horse again because. When you lose one one plug like that, and you lose twenty five percent of the power, those, <laughs> and you grab the plug wire, and it starts to deteriorate in your hands. You know, it's, right? That's for me. That's my go to sign that I need some plug wires. You know, so yeah, about that point right there. <clears throat> yeah, but I, you know, there's been a lot of because here's you know the crazy, and everybody's gonna be like, oh, Bill won't shut up with the Corvairs because I just picked that. <laughs> so I've been dabbing a little bit in Corvairs. And yeah. What's funny is I actually have the first air cooled flat six turbo car, which is a Corvair turbo. And with those distributors, what's interesting is they actually have a the vacuum that's on it. The distributor's designed that the vacuum it advances the distributor. Well, I guess it's the same as a VW, right? And then it, it releases the advance because um, it gives it more more advance on bottom end. But um, it's it, it it retards the timing once the supposed boost comes on, and I say supposed because I'm pretty sure it's missing. <laughs> it's you know the carburetor, the way GM designed that the turbo Corvair is like you could have anybody drop a brick on the throttle and you're not going to blow the thing up. So, um, <laughs> but but what's been interesting for me is like, like that car to some degree I kind of want to leave it as stock as possible and then I've been starting to do a little bit of this like talk to some of these old timers in the Corvair thing and and you get one guy tells you this and one guy's like nope stay away from that and then you talk to another guy and he's like look man they got technology out today that you'll actually feel the boost on that car and blah 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 so it's interesting all the different I think it's one of the overlooked things in VW performance is like the ignition setups, right? Everybody kind of has their go to right. get this, put that on there and be done with it. But because I was thinking about that supercharged motor that I have, that was Lee Layton's engine. And I think that right. that motor was running nine seconds in that rail and it's 1900 CCs. I mean, of course it was in a rail that might've weighed, you know, 40 pounds. I don't even know how, heavy the <laughs> I know my leg probably would not fit in that rail that they were driving. But, you know, those cars had to be so precision tuned to squeeze every little bit of power out of it. And I think we, as a hobby, we've gotten a little sloppier, you know, because you have, and this isn't misnaming mis people, but like all the Hawaiian guys with 1600s at 48s on them. And we always just kind of go with like the get this, do that. There's kind of the go-to things to right. do for power. And I think we've kind of overlooked distributor, you know, the whole ignition setup. And, you know, like when I talked to my brother, my brother's like, you just use this one. This is the one that works good. And it's been proven. And I mean, I had, 
We just now replaced the ignition module in my Mallory and my Jake Raby engine because I, I pulled the, the Raby motor out of the bull run bus, put it in the carbon cab for now because I got the, the, the 2600 being looked at by my buddy Adam and right away we put it inside the car and it's not running right. So I mean, it's 19 years on that Mallory distributor and I had to change the ignition, the ignition module in it now. But, uh, I mean, some of these things are, you know, that motor, like I said, I bought that motor turnkey from Raby and never touched it. And when I say I never mm-hmm. touched it, I'm promising you, Bill, never, never. <laughs> like I might've done a detail, which was like, oh, I spilled some oil when I was putting oil in it. And then I just took a, the, the clean part of the rag and wiped off the valve cover and called it an engine detail. <laughs> like that, that's kind of, I mean, I'm all about the experience, right? I'm trying to be behind the wheel. That's where I'm trying to spend right. my time. And, uh, you know, the technology's out there, but I even think, we overlook some of the original factory technology that was there, especially now that we're talking, right? And I'm a little calmer than I was when I was 18 or 16 and had my first Volkswagen. <laughs> and I'm not just trying to like, that's it, bro. This 40 horse is going to, I'm schooling people on the streets, right? I'm, I'm a different guy now, but I, I look at these things and think, especially from a performance standpoint, my, you know, my brother, we were talking and Russell down at Old Speed makes these stroker single ports. And mm-hmm. they run the vacuum advances on those and they run vacuum advanced distributors. And that's my brother said, you know, vacuum advanced distributor really makes a lot of motors run better mm-hmm. if they're set up right because, and it makes sense now. And I think that may be some of the stuff that everybody overlooks, right? Because the first rule of thumb is everybody talks to their cousin, Eddie, who said, when I had a Volkswagen, everybody just went and got a 009. And it may make more sense for people just to, put the time and energy and getting their vacuum advance to work if they understand how the vacuum advance works because they're going to get better drivability, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at modern cars and they've got, you know, uh, mass airflow sensors and manifold pressure sensors. They've got all these sensors that tell the engine all the data it needs to know so that, you know, when it's zero degrees outside, you can go start the car and it's going to start. Um, Or when it's 110 degrees outside or, you know, when it's, you know, you've got your turbo GTI or whatever, and it's got all these sensors that tells the computer everything it needs to know so that it can tweak the timing and the air fuel mixture and all that stuff to make it work. So these vacuum cans were the kind of the early iteration of all that, of trying to look at what the engine wanted. Um, and then in the seventies, when they went to the DVDA distributors, you know, there was a lot of just trying to meet emission standards too, but yeah, it, it's so. So the question is, do you rebuild all the distributors that VW did? Yeah, I mean they're they're all basically the same construction. They can all be taken apart and cleaned, and you know I've got shims and all that kind of stuff. Where you where you start running out of parts is vacuum cans, uh, or the uh, a lot of times the breaker plates. If it's depending on the slide or how the slider system is. Or there's sometimes there's a little ball bearing that holds the two pieces together. It likes to wear a divot. So, um, I mean, yeah, there's things that can definitely, definitely kill a distributor, but any of the Volkswagen distributors, um, are all kind of the same or same thing with Porsche distributors too. And now, so, so you've rebuilt all of them and you're, and to do, to go through distributor, what's the range it's going to cost somebody to ship you a distributor, go through it and, and have it dialed in. Depending on tune-up parts, because, you know, parts are always tough to get. Mm-hmm. Um, a 009 is generally around 150, 160-ish plus shipping. Uh, the cast irons, you know, are, uh, if you're supplying the core, they're 250 or so. 
Um, and it, you know, just kind of varies on what it needs. I can also just do basic rebuilds. You know, if you, if you just want something checked out, um, you know, I don't mind, you know, somebody shipping me something, just throwing it on the machine and then, you know, pay for shipping back. It only takes me a few minutes to just kind of check it out. And then, uh, or like I said, I can do a basic rebuild, which is make it all work right. But, you know, don't worry about the cosmetics. So, when so you, when just kind of try to do whatever the customer, you know, what, what's going to help them get on the road, you know? So when you go through and when you're talking those prices, you're completely selling the distributor, you're blasting it, you're painting it, you're refinishing it, you're, you're making it look like a brand new distributor. Right. And now you also do, you also do carburetors as well, right? How did you get into yeah, doing the, yeah. carburetors? Yeah, I, I do some carburetor works. I do, uh, I do mostly, you know, IDFs, IDAs, do the occasional set of K-drons, um, you haven't hit my number yet, bro. I'm waiting for you to say the, the magic the magic four letter combination. The D, <laughs> What's that? The, the DCNF. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been hands on a set of DCNFs yet. That's kind of the only one I hadn't hadn't been hands on with yet. But well, I know the I know I know you've got you, you've uh, made friends with the Bergs and that the Bergs do a lot of stuff with the at least that was their preferred street driver carburetor back in the day. Gene really liked the DCNF, and when I interviewed Clyde, he said, "I said, why did you why did you like the DCNF so good?" He said, "Because they work." <laughs> that was the sense. I was waiting for this big, massive, in depth conversation. He said, "Because they work. It's a it's a great working carburetor, you know." Uh -huh. um, now with with the carburetors, what specifically do you do? Like, what's your range of the things you do with carburetors? Well, I can I can do the vapor blasting. I've got my own vapor blaster. I've got a. a a local electroplater that I can, you know, replate all the hardware, make it all work. I can flow test them. I can wet test them. I kind of just, you know, a little bit of everything. Um, and what's, what's, yeah. what's, what's a typical carb? I mean, do you do the Solexes too, or do you mostly just do Webers and stuff like that? I mostly do Webers. Um, I was doing a lot of stock carburetor stuff when I was in Tulsa at the machine shop. I prefer to have a nice drill press or a mill when I'm rebushing them because they all need rebushed. <laughs> right. And I just, after I've moved around so much with my work, I've, I've lost access to the mill that I had. So now talking about what you were doing with the, so, so you created a friendship with the Bergs right. a few years back and now you've been helping them with testing some stuff. Let's talk about how you, how you kind of met the Bergs and how that's evolved into the friendship that you have with them now. Yeah, and, and uh, I think it was 2017, my buddy Fast Eddie out of Oklahoma City invited me to go out to California to uh, go to the Classic and go to Prado and all that kind of stuff. So took the Beetle out there and, uh, you know, got to, you know, live the dream. We all we all, right. all want to get out to California <laughs> with our car, you know, and, and go to all these things you see in the magazines. And I mean, it was so great to get out there and, uh, you know, go to Clyde Shop and Gary Shop and Gene Berg and Rancho and and AJ Sims and, you know, just down the list of everybody and, you know, to go to Prado to, to be there for that, you know, was, that was amazing, you know, overwhelming so many cars. Um, and then did everything during the week, uh, you know, got to have my car on main street and garden Grove. I don't know why they let a patina bug in, but well, you know, I'm not, you know, <laughs> not right. going to argue with them. <laughs> I got my car on main street and then do the classic and man, just, just had a blast. Um, and uh, that's kind of when I, I met Gary um, and kind of started our friendship and he became a mentor to me. And, um, you know, we'd bounce ideas off the, over the phone or through text message. And he's just been such a great guy. Gary's an amazing guy. 
And um, I got to go back out in 2019 uh, and hang out at Gene Berg and with Gary for a bit at his shop. And that's when I met Doug and Dee and started that kind of friendship there. Um, I had a set of the 3742 IDA vents mm-hmm. and I told them, Hey, I'm going to do, you know, do some dyno, uh, dyno testing on these, you know, I'll send you the data. And that's kind of how it all started. And, uh, you know, those, those vents work as advertised, man. They're, they're, they're yeah, let's, an amazing so piece. Let's, let's talk about this. So they have a Venturi that you drop it of it. Like in, they make it for any type of carbs. Yep. Uh, I don't know that they have stock stuff yet, but they've got IDAs, they've got IDFs. Uh, I think they have them for the HPMXs because I think some of those are a little bit different. They've got them for Cadrons and Delordos. So, yeah, I think they, they got them for just about everything. And the way the Venturi, it's, so it's a new design of Venturi, and it's kind of a, a billet piece that's that's got like a dual machining ridge on it. Is that what's going on with it? Right. So... Generally, like so, we're talking IDA. Generally speaking, the 37 is you know going to be what you want on the street. It'll give you that lower end torque. When you go to the the bigger Venturi, the 42, you lose all that low end torque, but it's going to RPM more. Um, so it's it's a give and take. A lot of times, you know, you, you want the low end torque to drive it on the street, but when you take it to the track, you, you want the RPM. So the idea was, well, maybe we can kind of make a best of both worlds. And then they did it, and it actually made more power than a forty-two. Yeah. Um, now, I, now, what so, kind of difference have you so so you've got a motor on your dyno stand with a set of forty-eight IDAs on it, and then you drop a set of these vents in it. Is it change the power curve on it? Yeah. So the torque curve widens because the Venturi is acting like both, if if that makes sense. So the the Venturis will kind of shift the torque curve left or right depending on the RPM range. Mm-hmm. So now this kind of widens it and depending on the combo, depending on the, the groove Venturi size you're choosing, it can make more power um, or, you know, you can kind of have it set up to where, you know, I, I don't, you know, my engine's not going to turn seven, 8,000 RPM. So I'm going to go with a smaller vent, you know? And so sometimes it's, it's small increases, but the big thing is, is drivability. It's widening that torque curve. It, it really does everything they, they say it's supposed to. So it's really, it's it, what it's designed to do is take that high-performance carburetor and make it a little more streetable. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, take it, it, again, depending on your combo, because you're still limited on, you know, you're not going to put the world's biggest Venturi in your, you know, in your in your, in your 30, or 34 pick three and think it's going to, you know, run with, with anything out there. So, I mean, it, it's right. still you still got to take the combo into account. Anybody who's looking at getting a set, I would, I would suggest calling Berg and talking to them about your combo uh, and making sure you're, you're picking out the right vent size. Cause obviously, um, obviously cam and valve size plays into that. That cam and valve size compression the whole, the whole combo <clears throat> makes, makes, makes a difference on that. So call and talk to, talk to them about your combo. Uh, I know Gary sells them too. If you're doing your carburetor suit Gary or whatever. So any of them will be great and can help you select a vent for your, for your combo. No, that's uh, I, you know, I was talking to them, you know, I, I, I was, I've been lucky enough to get Clyde on the podcast and I'm really, I'm really hoping that one day I'm able to get Doug D and Gary on the podcast because I definitely think they've just got 
such great history. I mean, just sitting there chatting with Gary, he's just a wealth of information. You know what I mean? And the guy's got so much history of, of, you know, stuff he was taught by his dad when he was, you know, 15 years old, 16 years old. You know, it's just, it's crazy. And for these guys, it's all second nature because it's all they've grown up around. You know, Doug, Doug, right. included. I mean, Doug, I, I, you know, I see Doug and uh, D at the races all the time. And you're talking about Doug's the kind of dude that's just constantly hopping out and helping somebody tweak on this or do some of that. He's just, just a solid dude, man. Just a real stand up kind of guy to, to help people out. So they're, uh, I can't say enough good about them. I mean, they've just really, they've just really contributed so much to this hobby, you know? Yeah. And the fact that, you know, they're still innovating, you know, like with these events and there's some other prototype stuff that I was testing for him that, you know, may, may take this groove thing and push it to the next level. So, I mean, it's, they're, they're still innovating and they're, they're still developing new products. And I mean, it's just, they've been a blessing to me, you know, I'm, super honored to be a very small part of their team you know yeah no that's listen you know great it's always it's always better when uh you know you're around people that know more than you because it pushes you to be better (laughs) absolutely you know listen and you know when when doug burke hits you up and says hey i'm going to send you a stack of insurance you know like you just you say yes (laughs) yes doug burke (laughs) no that's awesome man i'm i mean i'm i'm glad to see that i mean even still i mean that's only a couple years old and it's like there's still new innovation that can come out in us in our prehistoric world of chasing carbureted you know carbureted motors that aren't crank fire ignition that are because you've got two schools of of thought in this world with that because you've got the real techie guys and then you've got the guys that are traditionalists that are trying to just deliver something that's reliable, powerful, and use as much technology as we can without crossing that line, you know? Right. And I have a tendency to kind of admire both, you know? Yeah. I'm a one of everything kind of guy, you know, I'll take one of those too, one of those too, you know, but you know, so I, uh, I think it's, I think it's rad. I mean, I think it's awesome that you're doing what you're doing because there's not a lot of guys doing what you're doing. There's not a lot of guys that rebuild the distributors and and, and we're in a, there's a generation coming up after us that their disposition is everything is disposable and they make a newer, better one, you know? And I think, uh, I think opening our eyes to understanding the value of of, of a properly using a vacuum advanced distributor for better drivability because what it, that that's really what it comes down to when it's all said and done is better drivability um, and performance when you're driving your Volkswagen every day. Because with my new car that's air-cooled that may or may not be a Volkswagen, it does have some falling on its face issues off of the throttle. And it's going to be one of those. It's either going to be carburetor or it's going to be distributor. But it's going to be one of those two things that's causing it to not perform like that because, you know, from the factory, I'm certain it was just right out of right off of idle. You could let go of the clutch and just move that thing down the road. So there's a there, there's a lot to be there's a I think what happens is as amateurs and then we end up there's more amateur VW mechanics than there are professionals because everybody's got to work on their own stuff. Especially if you're somewhere where there's no VW guys close by, you get the idiot book and you figure things out. But because it's been our hobby's been so overwhelmed by amateur guys and so many things have been band-aided down the road um you know there's a lot of cars out there that with a few minor tweaks could get right back into just being dialed in and and 
VW reliable, like that freaking 40 horse. I used to hop in and drive to California without even checking the belt. Right. right? It, it, it worked. You just got it and then you turn the key, right? Yeah. So, well, that's cool, man. Anything else that we haven't touched on that you think we ought to touch on uh, before we wrap up? Uh, nothing off the top of my head. You know, I'm, I'm no expert in any of this stuff. I just, you know, I'm, I'm uh, excited to share what I know and always trying to learn something new. Well, and There's I always newer, better things. And, but, but I think also when you say no expert, you own a sun machine for, for building distributors. I mean, you've got a passion for it, which is different than a guy who gets paid to do it. And it's the job he ended up getting, you know what I mean? So I think there's, there's a difference. And by being an enthusiast, it drives us even more to be better at what we do. So, um, I, I would say your passion can kind of make up some of that difference because you're willing to learn and to be able to be taught and uh, going out there and buying the equipment to be able to do the stuff. That's that's a pretty solid commitment to the hobby, you know, especially for something somebody's doing. So I wouldn't sell yourself so short, but if somebody wants to get a hold of you to have either their their carbs redone through you or have you, because um, you're right there in uh, in in. Texas area, Midlothian, Texas, right there outside of Dallas, Fort Worth area. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just South of Dallas in a town called Midlothian, Texas. I got a little shop out back. I don't have a storefront or anything. Uh, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at, uh, Josh Honnell. I do have a Facebook page for the business, Eric old Dino works. Uh, so DM me on any of those, find my phone number on there. Uh, if, if your email is your thing, it's just Josh at gmail.com. Um, yeah, hit me up on there. Um, you know, again, this is kind of my, my little side business, so I don't, uh, it's not your kinda, full, it's not your full it's time. It's not my day thing. job. Yeah. So you're not sitting by the computer waiting to respond to people. Right. So yeah. So be patient with me. You know, I, I, this is, you know, I've called myself a professional, a semi-professional tinkerer. So that's it. Well, man, I, listen, I appreciate the, the information that we kind of hammered out today because, you know, for, for me, it, when we wrap this up and I'm slightly enlightened to the fact of like, ah, yeah, you know what? It makes sense that it, it, and maybe that's kind of what, what we miss so much in the hobby is somebody taking the time to explain to us where the value is versus a lot of times we'd find an old VW mechanic and he's this old curmudgeon who's just like, shut up and do what I said. You're just going to do this. I don't got time to explain to you, you dumb idiot. Cause you're going to be out of this hobby in two weeks and blah, you know, and, and that those, those were the kind of people that we ran into back in the day, right? Like the VW yep. guy who it was his way or no way. And right. I, I think we have to balance that with like the factory knew they were doing something right with this, you know? So yeah. no, man, Josh, I can't thank you enough, man. I appreciate it. It's been a, it's been a wealth of knowledge and a great podcast. And, uh, for sure, anybody that's looking to get in touch with you, it's Josh Honnell on, uh, on Instagram. And uh, do you uh-huh. do you not have an Instagram set up for Air Cool Dino Works? Uh, I don't at this time. I kind of just post all pictures to everything. So I just got the Facebook page for Air Cool Dino Works. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. So you any, know, I'm, any, I'm behind the times, but <laughs> no, well, no worries. Anybody looking to have their distributor checked out or gone through or restored, man, they can uh, they can definitely find you on Instagram and Facebook and uh, get you get you dialed into there, man. Well, hey, yeah. I look I look forward to maybe seeing you out here. Uh, I don't know when you're coming out west the next time, but when you do, make sure. Uh, well, you, there's something coming up October next year. You should go to, which is the one crazy weekend. So, um, I've heard something about that. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta <laughs> make sure you get out to that because that that's gonna that's always a good time. So, 
Um, I'd love to. Well, cool, man. Well, appreciate you for coming on the podcast, man. Thank you so much. I, I, I had a great time chatting with you. You got it, brother. Thanks, man. Later. If you like that podcast, and I'm sure that you did, make sure you share this podcast with your other VW buddies. Go down to the bottom of the app where you're listening, copy and paste the location wherever you're listening to it from, and send it to all your VW friends, man. Uh, let me get some shout-outs this week for some of those that support the podcast. First shout-out goes to Rotten Feet Bill. It says, Bill, in early 2022, I randomly selected this podcast and clicked on episode 157, although I was stuck in the most savage traffic on the FDR drive headed north to the Triborough Bridge in Manhattan. That time passed with glorious speed as I listened to one of the most... And I guess that's it, man. That's, that's, all, that's all he wrote. So that's uh, from... Rotten Feet Bill, and he gave us five stars on uh, on the podcast review on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys want a shout-out, make sure you give a shout-out to uh, on the platform that you listen to. Leave us a review. I'll get notification of it, and I'll give you a shout-out on the podcast. Also, shout-out to John Daly. John Daly just recently picked something up from me. Uh, getting back in the VWC after a long time. Turned him onto the podcast, and now he's just been eating it up. So I appreciate uh, him for listening. Don't forget to support our sponsors, VW Trends, Ross Wolf, and go check out Lanny Hussey's custom cars. Go check out his website. If you're looking for a custom car built, reach out to Lanny Hussey out in British Columbia. Until next week, guys, keep it coming. Have a happy new year, and later. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Look at the Volkswagen.